The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Luke 119. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and it's our third week of the big Christmas celebration here on Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. This week, we are taking a look at the Berenstain Bears and the Christmas Angel from 2016. Now, this is a different one, folks. No longer are we simply steeped in the lore of the holiday season. This week, we are taking a look at a Zonderkids publication. That's right, Zonderkids, a imprint of Zondervan Publishing, which, as you probably recall from previous discussions, is the publisher that Mike got his parents to, you know, pitch into and supply some stories for back in the earlier 2000s that then snowballed and became a huge part of Berenstain Bears Publishing something that is still a huge part of their success. Uh, Zonder Kids are a Christian branch of publishing that publish Christian-oriented children's books. Although, as Mike is quick to point out, these are not proselytizing books. These are not books that are meant to convert children to any form of religion. They are simply books for Christian parents to read to their children that expound upon certain aspects of Christian culture, Christian belief, and Christian daily life. Uh, they are... Uh, fairly innocuous as far as like children's Christian publishing goes. They're not evangelical. They aren't uh, apocalyptic, certainly not. But I mean, I guess I shouldn't laugh because there's plenty of apocalyptic children's publishing. Uh, they're simply there to illustrate the, I mean, aspects of Christianity for children. Some of them are are even more older Testament than than newer Testament, just because there's a lot of. I mean, I don't know if you know much about you know, Judaism and Christianity, but there's some crossover there uh, as far as like the lessons and the stories and the and the legends and lore. So this book is all about not Christmas. Per, I mean, it is about Christmas, but it's it's really about one specific facet of the Christmas story and kind of expands upon it itself. This is the bears getting a little into lore uh, for the kids sake. It's about Papa and Mama illustrating an aspect of their belief system, and I find that kind of cool. It's a little granular for, for a Berenstain Bears book. It doesn't have a whole lot in the, in the, in the, as far as plot goes, but it's got a little more plot than the last two books, because we actually get to see the characters be the characters and interact with one another. I mean, you're not seeing, like, brother, you know, whine about his love life or his grades, and you're not seeing sister, like, be a boss. You know it all. But you're still seeing the bears interact with each other uh, and sort of push the story forward. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it does all—it's all in the service of of them illustrating aspects of of Christian culture. But still, it, it's there. They are the, they are the bears doing bear things, and we we hear a little bit about bear country. <laughs> So unlike the last two weeks, I'm actually going to dive right into the Berenstain Bears themselves and give you a little rundown of the story. And as we go, I'll cover a little bit about what they're talking about in a bit more detail. But honestly, this book does a pretty good job at explaining what it's about, uh, because this is this is an aspect of the Christmas story that a lot of kids aren't familiar with. Uh, so before we get into into too much detail, a little bit about holiday books now. 
my family celebrates both Hanukkah and Christmas. We don't do the whole combined Christmas Hanukkah thing that some people do. We're not fans of the whole Christmas thing. That's not in no shade if you are in no shade if your family combines the two holidays into one thing. But we like to keep them separate. Two distinct traditions, uh, two distinct histories, two distinct uh, belief systems because, uh, you know, Alana and Mitzi are, are Jewish and myself and Ollie are culturally Christian. We're not, you know, like not to get too deep into the weeds here, but we're not, we're not believers, but we do, we do have a cultural Christian background. So we celebrate Christmas and it's more, more in its trappings there. That's, that's as much as you're ever going to learn about me personally. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm throwing down the gate right now. By the way, if you'd like to hear me and Ollie talk about things besides beliefs, uh, tune into It's Del Toro Time, a Guillermo del Toro podcast that I host with Ollie, where we discuss the films of Guillermo del Toro and his influences. Maybe not that interesting to the younger listeners out there, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it's not even interesting. I don't know if it's interesting to anybody. Uh, listeners, if you listen to Del Toro Time, is it any good? I don't know. I have no way of knowing. I, I consider everything I do to either be like 100% everyone's got to listen or 100% uh garbage so where does it fall on that on that line from from yes to garbage uh which is basically the name of my autobiography by the way phil gonzalez from yes to garbage uh what was i talking about the berenstain bears and the christmas angel oh yeah so the way so when you read holiday books children's children's holiday books we read a lot of Hanukkah books, we reread a lot of Passover books and Sukkot books, and and these things are published. There's quite a bit of them. Uh, and we also read a lot of, you know, Easter books and Halloween books and Christmas books because there's a lot of those too. The difference between them being, and this is something that Alana and I have discussed within our family, is that books for Jewish holidays. And I don't know how it is for like Muslim holidays or anything like that cuz we don't we don't do the deep dive into those that often. But books for Jewish holidays tend to be a lot more explainy than books about Christmas holidays or Christian holidays. So for instance, a book about Hanukkah, even if it's for older readers, tends to have a lot more of every night we light the menorah. Uh, one candle per night because uh, it's to represent the fact that the, the the menorah in the temple after it was destroyed was was you know only had enough oil for one night but it was lit for eight nights like no matter what age we're talking about they always have the or we eat latkes which are kind of like potato pancakes and that rep and like even if the kids this is for Jewish kids to read who should know what this is all about they always explain it and. I'm wondering if it's just because they're trying to expand their market because when you're writing so if you look at Christmas books it's basically just like and we talked a little bit about this with uh with uh, a visit from St. Nicholas which didn't feel it had to explain the whole coming down the chimney leaving gifts thing like that was established in a big enough part of culture that you didn't have to explain to the listeners or the readers what was going on who was this who is this man coming into my house what 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 a crazy belief somebody's coming into your house and leaving no that was enough in the culture that you didn't have to explain it. And frankly, we find it a little irritating when you're reading a book that is meant to celebrate your belief system, but it feels like it has to hold the hands of everyone else out there. And honestly, we're like, I mean, it's great if people who aren't Jewish are reading books about Jewish holidays, but also like, you know, that's what Wikipedia is for. Or like put a glossary in the back, I guess. Or like maybe a turnabout's fair play, like at the back of like, I don't know, uh, what's up, she holiday Christmas 
collection, which I'm sure will be coming out at some point. Uh, maybe maybe be like, we put up the Christmas tree uh, to symbolize we don't know what, because no one can agree on what this Christmas tree is meant to symbolize. In any case, the reason I find this book kind of cool is because it talks about an aspect of Christmas that's a given, which is the angel. We think of the Christmas angel, which goes atop the Christmas tree in a lot of households. But not a lot of people bothered to explain it in Christmas books. And so I think it's cool that this is a book that kind of holds your hand a little bit. Uh, it's for not the youngest of readers. It's not for the oldest of readers either. But it's 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 in a spot where you're usually not explaining Christmas to kids. And it's like, wait, 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 kids. That Christmas angel, there's a story behind it. And here's, here's a little bit that you should know. And it doesn't go too into it because, frankly, as anyone who's read the Bible knows, there's not a whole lot of backstory to a lot of these characters. They they pop in, they they go without explanation, and then they they get out. They do their job and they they get out. Angels are a big part of that. There's a lot of fan fiction about angels uh, within Judaism, within Christianity, and within Islam, and really Zoroastrianism. If you wanna if you wanna if you wanna get your hands dirty, uh, Zoroastrianism is kind of the big like where did angels come from? Let's ask the Zoroastrians because they they kind of they they kind of poked the poked the fire with their fire poker I, does it that doesn't make any sense like if you had a fire outside and there was only a little bit of flame and you took your poker and you were like poke 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 grow grow flames grow that's what they did but with angels uh, or maybe they just maybe they had the embers and then christianity and or judaism and then christianity sto stoke the flames that's what they did anyway angels uh, so what we're talking about here, the, the Berenstain Bears and the Christmas Angels. So right off the bat, I want to say, totally dig the illustrations in this book. Uh, they're very soft. They're almost pastel-y. They're not as garish as the illustrations in the last uh, couple of books, which, again, I enjoyed. I liked the color palette in those books as much as like other people might sort of turn up their nose at them, think they're a little primary. This book has some wonderful watercolor images. Uh, I like the way the bears look. They are... As we edge into the uh, into the Mike era, the bear's face shape changes a little bit. Uh, uh, their 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 snout shape changes. Their foreheads foreheads get a little higher. Uh, and I like uh, by 2016 we have settled into a look of the bears into the cubs that I find very pleasing to the eye. Uh, and especially in this book, this is a, this is a nice looking book. It's a it's a it's a good book for your for your Christmas bookshelf as long as you're not averse to having a religious Christmas bookshelf. So uh, the plot, uh, the Cubs wake up or the Cubs are enjoying winter. They're getting ready for Christmas, but they're they're a little ticked off that there hasn't been a, a solid snowfall yet because the snow will fall and then it melts like right away. The ground isn't cold enough. The days haven't been cold enough. The sun is still like coming out right after the snow. And it's, I mean, kids in snowy areas know what this feeling is like. It's that like, man, we just want a good snowfall so we can go out and play in the snow. Parents in snowy areas and adults in snowy areas like those days because you get the beauty of the snowfall and then you don't have to worry about it uh, but the kids love the snow you have to worry about because that's good snow that's good playing snow so they get there's a there's a, a a weather report that's like we're gonna get a real snow and the kids they go to bed that night and they're they're dreaming about the snow a brother wants to do some cross-country skiing i guess a sister wants to build a snow person and honey bear Remember, Honey Bear is a, is a member of this family and becoming more of a character uh, now as we go along. She is a little more active. Uh, she still doesn't do or say much, but she's a little. she seems to be a little bit older now, a little older of a toddler. 
Uh, she wants to make snow angels. They all have like these like little dreams that they go to sleep dreaming. And the next day they wake up, huzzah, hooray, it's snowing. Um, I guess I can quote directly, hooray, cried the cubs, it's snowing. It's snowing. It's snowing. And it does that. Like it's snowing is exclamation point. It's snowing, exclamation point, but in italics. And then it's snowing, all caps, exclamation point. They are out of their minds with happiness. And mom is like, okay, eat a good breakfast. You can go out and play in the snow, which they do. And we have this wonderful moment of the Cubs simply enjoying the aesthetic pleasure of snow. Uh, they look at they look out at Bear Country, which is now blanketed in snow. It's beautiful. Uh, just everything is like this like field of white. They they enjoy the feeling of the flakes on their face. Like that's that that's that very tactile. Uh, a sensory enjoyment of the change of the weather. If you enjoy the change of the weather, it's not just because of the way it looks. It's not just because of what it represents. It's because of the way it feels against your body. And that is, that's a, that's a pleasant feeling, especially to a child. That means we are officially in snowy weather. I'm going to take a little detour here. My first experience with snow, my first experience, okay, so I grew up in Houston, Texas, right outside of Houston, Texas, not a place known for its snowfall. We did get snow a couple of times as a kid. It was a fluke, and it always, like, just sort of, like, blew everyone's minds. It didn't stick around, but it was cool, and you'd run outside and just sort of feel the little flakes on your face. It was a special, special occasion. It, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't like, accumulate, but it was, it was nice. It was cool. We did get a lot of... We got a lot of ice storms. Uh, that was a big thing. Uh, it would it would get cold enough to freeze, and it would we would get this very wet sleet, which would, uh, if you've never experienced this, you would it would cover all the trees in water. And and you know the further south you go, you get trees with like kind of big waxy leaves, and these big waxy leaves would be covered in ice. Each one would have an individual encasement of ice that you could then like just sort of lift off and you'd have these ice leaves that you could just sort of like put on the put on the table outside and, and marvel at kind of or or pine needles since we had a lot of pine trees uh evergreens uh you could slip the the ice right off the pine needles and they would be these little like ice straws and that was kind of cool a little a little phil's phil's experience with the cold uh but when i got to college that's when i experienced my first snowfall i went to college in Santa Fe, New Mexico, at what was then called the College of Santa Fe, and is now called uh, nothing. It's uh, my college went out of business. If you wanna, if you wanna know the history of that, uh, I, I suggest uh, searching online for. I would go to go to go to the uh, go to like the newspapers of New Mexico and look up the history of the College of Santa Fe. It is uh, a, a, a heartbreaking tale of the, the demise of a wonderful institution, uh, a place where I met many of my friends, uh, many wonderful people out there, many listeners. Uh, listeners, there's listeners out there I went to college with. If you, you, know, you know who you are, hello. I am acknowledging you right now. Uh, but the, uh, Santa Fe was my first experience with actual snow, and I ran out the first time we had this huge snowfall. It was my freshman year. I had never been in real snow before, and I was ama amazed and astounded. Me and a bunch of my friends ran out because we were all from Texas, and it just wasn't a big thing. And, I mean, in some parts of Texas, it is, it is a big thing. Like, you, you do get a lot of snow. Texas is a huge state, by the way. Uh, North Texas gets the snow. So it, we were, But many of us are from, like, uh, East Texas and South Texas. And the first thing I did, I was so excited. The first thing I did is I ran to a, uh, like a, an outdoor like barbecue pit thing that had filled with had a huge mound of snow on it and I I had always wanted to do this I laid my face right in the snow and 
like just pushed it right down into the snow because I'd always wanted to do that. That had been one of my dreams. Lifted my face back up, immediately regretted it. Uh, that's a bad idea because what happens is it's very, uh, if you don't, if you've never experienced snow, quite cold, uh, the snow, quite, uh, quite cold. And then you lift your face up, that snow's still on your face. And guess what? Outside, the air, cold too. So, and then the snow, what happens is the snow melts against the heat of your body. And then you've got uh, cold water on your face. So that's bad. And then I played outside in the snow with my friends for a long time. Went inside, couldn't see. Guess what? Uh, snow blindness. That's a thing that happens too. Where are your sunglasses, my friends? Where are your sunglasses? Or you'll, you'll be laying in your dorm room wondering why you can't see. Everything's suddenly orange and there's spots flashing before your eyes. It's terrible and frightening because I didn't know what was going on. Uh, that was my first experience with snow. Uh, an exercise in pain and terror. Thank you. Uh, but then I ended up enjoying it. There's pictures out there. If you're friends with me on Facebook, they're, they're probably out there. I mean, whether, even if you're not friends with me on Facebook, those pictures are still out there. That is not how causality works. Uh, in any case, so this, the Cubs are playing out in the snow, and they're like, hey, let's build a snowman. And here comes one of my favorite exchanges. They're like, what kind of oh, – snow? sorry, 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 snow bear. And they're like, what kind of snow bear? So they're snow people, uh, non-gender specific. Uh, so let that sink in. Woke. So they like, let's build a snow bear. And brother's like, well, how about one with a corncob pipe, a button nose, and two eyes made out of coal? And sister's like, ooh, and an old silk hat with a broomstick in his hand? That's so old school. Let's try something different. Zing, sister. Hope, hope, uh, hope that uh, the brother doesn't. There's something about snow and melting because he got burnt. I don't know. Like, you burn in the snow. I don't know. I can't think of a joke quickly enough. Then brother's like, fine. How about a modern looking one with both eyes on one side of its head? And you get this like little image of a, of a uh, non-Euclidean snow bear, uh, Picasso-esque snow. And sister's like, whoa, no, that's, that's a little far out. So sister, uh, honey bear makes a snow angel. And they're like, hey, you know what we can do then? Let's make a snow angel. Let's make a Christmas snow angel. And they're like, great, we can give it wings, we can give it a halo. And so they use a, uh, they bend a, a branch to look like a harp, and they use dried corn stalks for the wings. And they get an old coat hanger and some tinsel, some foil to make the halo. Uh, what I do find funny about this is this is not, uh, so when human beings make a snow person, it's a ball with a corn cob pipe and a button nose and twice made out of coal. It's, it is for all intents and purposes a human being. It is, it is representative of a human being. Uh, the eye uh, pieces together that it is meant to represent a face. Although, if you actually ran into a human who looked like that, you would scream so loud, and then you would run away and be like, "No, uh, I've seen the devil. I've seen, I've seen horror. I've seen uh, why, why, what happened to reality? This is impossible. What is wrong?" And you would, like, you would call people, and they would come, and they would like capture the thing the the monster the creature that so what i'm saying is like snow people don't actually look like human beings but the snow bear does they've sculpted a, a perfect mike berenstain bear so i guess when you're a kid in in bear country a cub you just you 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 learn that skill early on because they made a very realistic looking angel with arms and hands and sleeves and hair and eyes and mouth and nose and ears and a chin it's beautiful just beautifully done so they come back inside. They're all they're all happy. They're sipping their hot chocolate, and the uh, mama and papa come in. They look out the window. They see the snow bear, and they're like, "That's great, that's great." That's a and papa's very impressed. He's like, "You know what? That must be Gabriel, the Christmas angel." And the kids are like, "What? 
And they're like, yeah, like some angels have names. Bet you didn't know that. Which, of course, leads me to wonder, like, how much of an education are these kids getting? Because even at that age, I think, I mean, I grew up in a fairly non-religious household, but I, I was aware that there was a, at least an angel named Michael. There's a guy named Mike running around. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what these kids are doing. Like, what, do you go to church? I know you go to church. Where, where, what are you learning about, kids? But they've never been taught the names of the angels. So, yes. So there is, there is an angel named Gabriel who pops up periodically throughout the good book that we call the Bible. Or the Torah, or other religious books, because he doesn't only appear in the Christian Bible. Uh, Gabriel is a angel, and in some traditions, Gabriel is an archangel, although uh, not necessarily in other. Like some Christian traditions, he's an archangel. Some Christian traditions, he's just an angel. Uh, archangels are kind of like the boss angels, like the big boss angels. And I don't, I mean, I'm not going to get too far into the weeds here, but some traditions consider like Michael to be the only archangel. Like he's like the main angel and some traditions consider Gabriel to be an archangel. And there's like five archangels. Uh, also, uh, he's also considered the guardian angel of Israel. And we'll talk about guardian angels just a little bit. Uh, but, uh, but he appears in like the book of Enoch. Uh, in uh, which is, you know, one of the Jewish writings. He appears to Daniel in the book of Daniel. Uh, Gabriel's there. His name means, let me just pull this up, God is my strength. Uh, all the angels' name, names mean God is something or something to do with God. That's why they all end in L. Uh, just so you know, a little, like, little angel trivia there. Uh, but what is an angel? What, what, where do we get the idea of angels? Where do we, why do we even talk about angels? Why does the Bible talk about angels? What's an angel, everybody? Uh, well, uh, the, the, so, the, the the longest short of it is a Bible, an angel is a lot of different things. An angel uh, in in religious tradition, uh, an angel is you know a messenger, a warrior, a soldier, uh, an avatar. Sometimes the angel is something to be worshipped. Sometimes an angel is a helper. Sometimes an angel is uh, God incarnate. Sometimes an angel is an aspect of a god. Uh, so you know it 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 bounces back and forth. Um, in Hebrew, uh, whew, okay, we're gonna just. I'm not gonna. Try, I am. So, so, I am not going to get too deep into the into the weeds here. I, I swear. I swear. I swear. I swear. I swear. I'm not gonna get too deep into the weeds. Uh, but essentially, the word angel derives from. I'm not gonna like as far back perhaps as Mycenaean word akero, which means more or less messenger. It just means messenger. Uh, and in old religious traditions, there are divine beings who are on in the mortal plane, who exist in the mortal plane in capacities that either the gods wouldn't be seen doing or couldn't be seen doing or you know, don't want to bother being seen doing. And so angels can be like the divine's representation here on earth. In some Christian traditions, angels are God. Basically just like, I'm going to put on this person suit and come down to earth and interact with people. In other traditions, angels are separate entities. They are like the children of God who aren't human beings. Like humans are kind of the earthy ones and then angels are like, a little more mystical. It'll have a little more power. 
but they don't get like all the free will and stuff that humans do. They kind of just got to like love God and do all that stuff. They're not allowed to make mistakes. Oh boy, a bunch of them did make mistakes a long time ago though. If, I don't know if you've read that part of the Bible, but the mistakes were made and we got a big angel who fell down to earth and hurt himself and was so mad he became the devil in some traditions. In other traditions, it gets a lot more confusing. In any case, so angels are this thing and... Uh, the, the, I mean, in Jewish, in Jewish tradition, uh, there has been talk about what are angels and who are the angels since the books were written down. And there are legends and stories around the angel of angel Gabriel, uh, who he is, what he does, uh, what his exact job description is. Uh, but in Christianity, Gabriel became the angel who announced, well, Let's get to it. Uh, so what happens is the kids are like, Gabriel, who's Gabriel? And, uh, oh, I didn't talk about guardian angels. Guardian angels, I had always thought that, that was kind of a little more modern thing. Like, isn't it nice that you have a, an angel that, like, hangs out with you and makes sure you don't get hurt, even though you always get hurt? Uh, turns out guardian angels are about as old as the concept of angels themselves. Uh, and it's totally a Jewish thing. Uh, the belief that uh, each person is assigned an angel at birth. That is a thing. Uh, I know that in Mormon tradition, I believe that in Mormon tradition, angels are actually not created separate from people. I believe that in Mormon tradition, uh, angels are, uh, what happens like to people, certain people after they die, they go to heaven, they become angels. I think in Mormon tradition, Noah became Gabriel. If I'm not mistaken, and I think Adam became Michael, I think that's how it works. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not an expert on anything. I'm not an expert on anything. I only know what I read. So my Mormon listeners out there, am I right? Am I wrong? I only know Moroni. Like that's, I didn't read the whole Book of Mormon. I feel bad about that. Uh, uh, but I did read a lot of it, a lot of it. Grew up in a highly Mormon area, by the way. So uh, that's a little more, a little more fill facts about me. Spring, Texas. A lot of Mormons. Good people. A lot of friends. So anyway, um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So the, the parents are like, let's take a look at these little, we have these little decorations set up on our windowsill that, that illustrate, uh, just conveniently enough, uh, this Gabriel. Uh, meaning that uh, maybe the bears, maybe in bear country, there are aspects of Christmas that are different from ours. Maybe there's a bit of angel worship, even though that is strictly forbidden in Christianity. So uh, you can't worship an angel. Not a thing you're supposed to do. Not a thing you're supposed to do. Um, so, yeah, so Gabriel told Mary, you're going to have a baby, and uh, also told uh, John the Baptist. So, for those of you who aren't familiar with, like, the story of uh, of of Jesus, uh, before Jesus, there was a guy named John the Baptist, and he was only, like, a few months older than you. I had always thought, like, John the Baptist was the old guy, and Jesus was the young guy, but, like, John the Baptist's mom, who got pregnant when she was super old, because that's, like, a thing that happens a lot in the Bible, like, I'm... The angels come down and they're like, you're going to have a baby that's going to do great things. And it's always to like a 90-year-old person. And they're like, we're old. We can't have babies. And the angel's like, that's what you think. Hope hope, hope you get that college saving started soon because you're going to have to, uh, you're gonna have to get, get that started. So uh, uh, the, the Gabriel came to uh, the people who would be John the Baptist's parents and were like, oh, yeah. So John, uh, John the Baptist. Okay, wait. And was like, you're going to have this kid who's going to be amazing and do amazing things. And they're like, we're old. We can't have babies. I think I did that voice already. And the angel's like, now you can. And John the Baptist, mom and dad, 
had a John the Baptist. But while John the Baptist's mom was six months pregnant, uh, Gabriel then went over to this woman named Mary and was like, hey, Mary, you're going to have an, a, a very important baby. And I think that like in that in that tradition, like in that book, like, I think Mary's like related to John the Baptist's parents somehow. I can't remember the exact connection. But in any case, uh, like cousins, second cousins or something. But in any case, she's like, uh, I can't, I can't, what, what, what are you talking about? I can't get pregnant. I haven't even, I have, I'm, I'm the Virgin Mary. And the angel's like, dude, I just got a 90 year old woman pregnant. I didn't get, I didn't get her pregnant, but I made it. I did my like, like magic. And now she's as fertile as, as, as a rabbit. And Mary's like, what's a rabbit? We live in the desert. And he's like, they're like guinea pigs, but with big ears. So Mary gets pregnant, and it was Gabriel who told her that. Who's like, you're gonna have this baby, and it's gonna be awesome. And uh, and then John the Baptist's parents were like, we thought our kid was gonna be awesome. And the angels like, I mean, there's theories that like the John the Baptist story was a lot more important once upon a time, but then like the Jesus story kind of overtook it. So these two traditions were combined into one narrative. And then some scholars think that maybe John and Jesus were the same historical figure, but their stories branched off at one point in history and then came back together because some people were John the Baptist people and some people were Jesus people. And if you wanted to get the John the Baptist people, then what you do is you tell the story that like, oh, John the Baptist was doing great. But then he saw Jesus and was like, you're doing better, my man. So who knows? Uh, but I bet that was probably just like, man, we thought we were the cool ones because you got pregnant when you were so old. But then Mary, like she got pregnant and she didn't even. She didn't even do anything. She didn't even have to do anything. Ugh. Man, I mean, I guess that's cool, but people are going to like know about Mary and even worship Mary in places. Don't tell anyone, but oh my goodness. Mary worship, that's a big a big deal. A big deal in some places. Not going to say where, not going to say who. But uh you grow up in Texas, you you see some things. You hear some things. There's some there's some religious traditions down there. Anyway, so the mom is like, yeah. So he came to Mary and was like, you're going to have the baby. Uh, but also uh, some angels, you know, angels are messengers. Like they don't just like put babies in people. They also come and are like, hey, how about here's some good news. They, the, the angels told the shepherds like there's a baby coming. You got you to gotta get on that. And uh, angels also like told, uh, you know, Jesus and or told Mary and Joseph, uh, King Herod's going to like kill your baby. Get the baby out of here. And uh and some, and this is where Papa comes in. He's like, and some, you know, some angels are guardian angels, and they, they, they look over us. And sister's like, what? And I'm like, dude, you, you haven't told your kids about guardian angels yet. You are Christians. You are very much Christians here. You haven't told them about any of this. They don't know anything about angels. There's angels everywhere. I knew about angels. I mean, I grew up in the '90s though, and angels were very popular at the time. That was like, you couldn't get away from angels. That, that was the do you, does any does any listener out there who grew up in the 90s or lived in the 90s remember the big angel resurgence that we had all of a sudden there were books about angels and find your angels and and are you an angel and then like there was a great play written called angels in america and like then there was like uh like the sci-fi fantasy world really latched on to angels at that time uh it, it, it sort of became this big deal like oh like uh, sort of like angels on the ground like kicking stuff around and then we had like john travolta was an angel in one movie michael and angels angels were everywhere and like ironic angels and like uh, postmodern angels and uh and uh 90s it was it was a big deal 
angels. We were really rethinking the way we saw the world and angels, angels became more adversarial. We started seeing movies like uh, The Prophecy, with uh, which had Michael and Gabriel in it, but like I think they were bad guys or Christopher Walken was maybe Michael, was he Gabriel? I don't remember. One of them and he was a bad guy and like wanted to bring about the apocalypse and uh, there was a movie in the early 2000s that was about angels and they attacked like a diner, zombie monsters. I don't remember. In any case, angels are big. And uh, if you grew up in the 90s, you saw this resurgence of angels. And they never really went away. Oh, Dogma. That was another one with angels. Dogma. Yeah. So angels, very popular. But I'm just surprised that like the kids never heard about angels. Like it seems like a, a no-brainer. So uh, the kids are like, thanks for the, thanks for the angel info, mama and papa. And they go outside and play. Uh, they go and dance around their snow angel and then the clouds part and a shaft of light falls on the angel. Doesn't like, Mike doesn't go so far as to say that's meaningful or implies anything. Just like, here's some light. It's pretty, it's a pretty last image. The kids don't impart it with any meaning either. Uh, I impart it with the meaning that, oh no, that's no, no good. Direct sunlight on your snowman, snow monster. That's a, that's a one-way ticket to melt town. Uh, and then a one-way ticket to a child's meltdown. Uh, because no one likes to see their snow creation melt. Uh, and then the kids go play, laughing and shouting through the snow. So kids will be kids. Uh, and that's and that's the Berenstain Bears and the Christmas Angel. Uh, it's all about angels, or it's partly about angels, and also about making snow things. And uh, Christmas traditions. So one of my favorite illustrations in this book, so we get to see these little dioramas. Now, Mike has always talked about uh, how he thought it was odd <laughs> to be asked to do Bible stories in the religious books because he was like, yeah, draw Jesus as a bear. So he's always gotten around it by like never drawing Jesus as a bear until like, I guess later on when he did like the illustrated, fully illustrated Bible. But like in these stories, it's always like people playing the characters or dioramas like, or illustrations from books. Like it's sort of this like one degree removed portrayal of Jesus and Mary and Joseph. But there is a little nativity scene uh, and you see little baby Jesus bear only the top of its head or the, bottom of its chin. I can't tell what angle it's actually from. And you see Mary and Joseph bear, and you see shepherd bears. Uh, in the next illustration, okay, in the next illustration, you fully see Jesus bear. There is Jesus. Oh, you see, actually, you see a bunch of Jesus bears now that I'm looking at it. What was I thinking? Uh, you see Jesus bear in his cradle, and uh, there's three wise bears, and there's Mary and Joseph bear. And then you see Jesus, Mary, and Joseph uh, on their donkey doing a uh, doing the thing or well, going through Egypt and there's like a pyramid in the background. Uh, the three wise bears, uh, I guess those are supposed to be the traditional three wise men that we see in stuff. Uh, the three Kings, uh, the spies of King Herod, whose hearts were changed. Uh, we see the Christmas star in the background. Uh, this is a very, very, very Christmas story, Christmas book. Unlike the last two, which of course means drum roll. Jesus exists in bear country. Uh, in Bear World. Uh, Jesus, in one form or another, exists in Bear World. And of course, as we'll learn from the Berenstain Bears Bible, uh, it's pretty much just exactly as we think. So world history is very similar to our world history. There was a bear, and there was a king, and there was an Egypt, and there was a Christmas. So, Because uh, up until this point, Christmas could have meant anything. It could have been an old word that meant something else. They could have had the traditions we have, but without the Jesus aspect of it, it could have been purely secular or worshiping an old god. We know the old gods exist in Bear Country, so you know, why not, why not, you know, some sort of extension of the Yule? Why not that? But instead, we get, uh, we get a full-on Jesus in this book. And 
you know what? If you're not Christian, probably not the book for you. Uh, unless you just want to explore different aspects of the, uh, I mean, I mean, you can read whatever you want, read whatever you want, but again, not a preachy book. It's just a book that's about an aspect of the Christmas story, which is the Christmas angel. And you know what? I really appreciate that. I really appreciate a book that is about the, the, the history of the traditions, a, so that I don't have to do all the homework like I did last two weeks because I don't know. It's easy for me, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but besides, okay. Besides the fact that we know now that there is, you know, fully, fully Jesus, fully, fully angels. Uh, we also know because of the context clues that Frosty the Snowman, the song, all right, exists within bear country. It exists within bear world frosty the snowman which means that okay <laughs> which means that at some point in the the mid 20th century or presumably uh the song frosty the snowman was written by whoever the bear world equivalent of walter rollins and steve nelson is uh which means that probably Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer also exists in bear country because Frosty was written in order to capitalize on the success of Rudolph, which means that department stores... Anyway, I'm getting way too into the, into the, into the weeds here, but uh, the book begins with something that is one of the most secular aspects of, of Christmas, which is the song Frosty the Snowman, which doesn't mention Christmas at all that last line i'll be back on christmas day that you hear in the tv rankin bass special frosty the snowman that's not the original lyric the original lyric is i'll be back again someday um so it begins with something that's very secular frosty the snowman and ends up being a book about something that is incredibly sacred which is the notion of the christmas angel which is the notion of the messenger of the lord coming down and 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 revealing uh the future uh savior of, of bear kind um i assume that the song is called frosty the snow bear in in bear country so uh that's the only that's the last point i wanted to make so this was uh the berenstain bears and the christmas angel a very sweet uh informative little book uh it is available in print or in uh ebook editions so you can pick it up uh, like i said the illustrations are are nice uh, they're active. They're lovely. You get some of Mike's wonderful religious illustrations, which we will see more and more of uh, later on. Mike, how, Mike is just his his illustration style. He's come more and more into his own over the years, and this is one of this is a really good book for that one. You get to see just some really great cartoony bears doing the bear thing, uh, and you get to see Mike's attention to detail in his little drawings of the manger, of the broom, of the snow angel, of the interior of the bear's house. I love the interior of the bear's house in these Christmas books. It looks so cozy, so sweet and cozy. So uh, that's it. Uh, the Berenstain Bears and the Christmas Angel. Pick up a copy of That's Your Inclination. You will not regret it. It's uh, It takes about one minute to read. Uh, you can find me and uh, all my Berenstain Bear business at berenstainbearcast.wordpress.com. Uh, I am also on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash deep in bear country. I appreciate everyone who contributes. Uh, I've got a special Patreon request question that i am getting to i promise 
Uh, it's a bigger, it's ended up being a bigger thing in my life than I thought it was going to, and I'm working on making it good. So uh, I will be answering a Patreon question in a far more complicated manner than I was originally going to, because it, I would not be Phil Gonzalez if I was not making my life harder than it needed to be. Uh, also, uh, I hinted last week that I'm working on a project that uh, is taking up a lot of my time, and I guess I'll go right ahead and say it, because the more I say it, the more I need to work on it. I'm working on a show called Deep in Bear Country, a one man's deep dive into the world of the Berenstain Bears. And it is a one man show that I will be performing in the Twin Cities at the end of the spring, beginning of the summer. Uh, and hopefully it is something that I will continue tinkering with and working on. Uh, it's not so much about the Berenstain Bears as it is about my experience uh, filling my life with the ins and outs of the Berenstain Bears. It's gonna be about art. It's going to be about uh, the legacies we leave behind. It's going to be about uh, family and family uh, tradition. And I really just want it to be about how doing this show has changed my perception, not only of the Berenstain Bears and not only of children's literature, not only of the publishing world, but of, of, of just my, the very notion of appreciation how it has taught me to have a deeper appreciation of most things in my life and has given me a new perspective on what it means to leave something to be remembered by in this world and overcome the crippling fear of being forgotten. Uh, that is, 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 is part, of my, part of what makes it hard for me to go to sleep at night. If you ever see me try to go to sleep, sometimes you're just like, why is he having trouble going to sleep? And it's like, because I'm thinking about the fact that I'm mortal. And then I'm like, why are you in my room? And then you're like, you never saw me. I was never here. And then I'm like, we're changing the locks. And that's it. So thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you all for being such wonderful listeners and such beautiful people. Uh, and I will see all of you next week, deep in bear country. Goodbye. <laughs>